The following broadcast is produced by Brookside Meeting House Companies, LLC, doing business as Forget-Me-Not Ancestry. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. I'm Jane Wilcox, and this is the Forget-Me-Not-Hour, Your Ancestors Want Their Stories to Be Told. Welcome to the show. This morning, our topic is New York Town Historians, and my guests are Nancy Kelly and Barbara Russell. Uh, Nancy is the town historian for the town of Rhinebeck in Dutchess County, and Barbara is the town historian for the town of Brookhaven in Suffolk County, uh, which is on Long Island. And we're going to be uh, discussing what the roles of histori- town historians are in the state of New York. This is a, a unique position uh, for the state of New York. It's uh, not found anywhere else in any other state that I am aware of. Um, so we'll, we'll look at what the state mandate is for town historians. We'll find out what types of records the town historians ha- have, uh, what the difference is between like a large town like Brookhaven versus a small town like Rhinebeck, and what we can expect uh, from a town historian when we contact him or her. Um, so this, the uh, idea for this show came about when I was attending the New York State Family History Conference in Syracuse in September. Uh, we had a joint conference uh, with the New York State Historians, the Association of Public Historians. Barbara was attending the conference. Uh, I know Nancy wanted to be there and couldn't make it. Um, And there was a panel discussion with Barbara representing the town historians. And a lot of good questions came out with the uh, panel discussion, and I thought it would be a wonderful topic to uh, discuss on the Forget-Me-Not Hour. Um, So I have met both uh, Nancy and Barbara in my uh, genealogy capacity. I have ancestors in the town of Brookhaven, and I I had contact with Barbara's uh, predecessor. And then a couple of times I have been to the Brookhaven Town Historian's Office in the the past couple of years uh, since Barbara has been in that position. And then I also do research in Dutchess County in the uh, the town of Rhinebeck. And so I know Nancy uh, through her capacity as town historian. And also uh, as she and her husband Art were on the Forget Me Not Hour a few years ago uh, talking about the town of of Rhinebeck. Um, so long introduction, and it's going to be a wonderful show. So thank you both, Nancy and Barbara, for uh, coming on and, and being guests on the show. Thank you for inviting us. My pleasure. <laughs> all right. So as I ask all of my guests at the beginning, uh, uh, please tell us where you were born and raised your education and your careers. And I'll start with Nancy. Well, I was born in Rhinebeck and raised in Rhinebeck. I left long enough to go to Cornell University and then um, uh, settled back in Rhinebeck after I was married. Um, I was educated in a one-room school, um, but I became a valedictorian in my uh, senior class at uh, Rhinebeck Central. And um, I have uh, taught nursery school and uh, uh, home ec and um, was on the town board for 11 years here in Rhinebeck. Okay, and Nancy, I'm not sure if it's if it's my connection or your connection, but you're uh, coming in and out uh, from your phone. It, it sounds like um, just just uh-huh. so you know. Well, I don't. I am trying to hold the phone <laughs> close to my 
mouth, and um, I hope that it's not a bad connection from my telephone okay. system. Okay, I think this is good, uh, where you have it now. Okay. So how did you get interested in history, uh, for Nancy? Okay. Um, well, my grandmother always enjoyed telling me um, stories about history in the area and um, the Indians and all, all, all things like that. And so I always had an interest in history from her. Um, I guess I didn't um, study it particularly in school, but I was a charter member of the Rhinebeck Historical Society. Okay. And, and, and then how about uh, – go ahead. No, well, I was going to add at some point that now I've been town historian for 22 years. It doesn't seem possible. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And how how did you come to be town historian? Uh, well, after I had uh, been on the town board, the town board knew me and knew that I was um, I probably at that time I had just been president of the Historical Society. And so okay. I was asked to be town historian. Okay, and then how did you get interested in genealogy? Well, um, genealogy started with my husband, who had a lifetime interest in his genealogy, and after our children were uh, born, he wanted to explore my genealogy. And then when we started looking into it, we realized um, how many of my ancestors came from this area and um, uh, got very interested in the Palatine settlement from German, from Germany, um, that uh, were here by 1710. So that was um, the beginning of our interest, and um, then he um, started publishing church records and things to help other people with their genealogy. And so we started the business Kinship and have been very involved with genealogy ever since. Okay. All right. And you are both fellows of the New York Genealogical and Biographical Society. Well, that's true. Mm-hmm. That nice <laughs> As of, I think, a year or two ago. Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. And then, Barbara, uh, same for you. Tell us yes. about your, your born, raised, and education and things like that. Well, I was born right here in the town of Brookhaven and pretty much raised here until I spent four years um, in New York City for uh, college and I came back here to work, uh, and then I took a, about 19 years. I was home raising young children, and don't let anybody to ever tell you that that doesn't give you the opportunity to explore your interests when they're in school. <laughs> so I worked uh, for the Historical Society, local historical society in their archival collection as a volunteer, and then I went back to school and earned a master's in library science with a concentration in archives and preservation. And then I went to work as a public librarian. And um, at the time, the present town historian here was getting older, and I approached the supervisor at the time, and I said, at some point he will retire, and I would like to be considered for that position. And, of course, I sent the requested letter and resume and all of that. And sure enough, a few years later, the position was open, and um, I was lucky enough to be appointed. So I've been here uh, coming up to 12 years. Oh, 12 years. Wow. Wow. I was thinking mm-hmm. it was, it was uh, less now than Now I that. started in, 
I think I started in April or May of 2005. Okay. All right. Mm-hmm. All right. So then, um, let's, and then uh, how did you get interested? You are interested in genealogy yourself. How did you get interested in, in that? I am interested in it because I just grew up in a family that would talk about generations back. And uh, so I have all these names in my head since I was a young child, met many of the generations that are now gone. Um, Luckily, they kept fairly good records, and it just evolved. Now I want to do it for the next generations. That's why I do my personal genealogy. But if you're doing your personal genealogy, you're learning how to do it. And then, of course, when I came to this job... um, I frequently get questions about genealogy. Is my line going dead? I'm here. Okay. Just so you know, Nancy, my phone says I'm still on the call. Okay. I couldn't so, hear anybody. I don't know mm-hmm. what that means. Huh. Is Barbara continuing to talk? No, this is Barbara. Oh, okay. Yeah. I'm sorry. Uh-huh. It seems that we lost Jane. Oh, we lost Jane. Oh, dear. Mm-hmm. Well... And she didn't tell us what to do. Do we need to hang up so she can No, call she us just back? she did. She just said to hold on and she would call us back. But my line says I'm still connected to her. Uh-huh. Well I think maybe I better hang up and uh Well mine'll tell me if I'm getting a call. Okay. I don't have that specification. <laughs> Okay, Nancy and Barbara, can you hear me? Oh, yes, we can. Yes. Okay, terrific. I had to call in on my phone. So I'm going to delete uh, what just happened. Um, so we are, are all good. Okay. Um, so, Nancy, um, let's talk about the town historian history. Uh, when was the post formed? Why was it created? Well, I know the state law was um, instituted in 1919, um, I think with a, a concern about the the uh, preservation of town records, and um, so uh, I think that um, Helen Delaporte, who founded the DAR chapter in town, um, was uh, very active as a historian at that time, and I, she may have functioned as a town historian, um, but. We didn't have very active um, town historian until um, 1970 when DeWitt Grinnell became the town historian, and he was very interested in 
history and getting um, the children and the town involved in history and um, started the, the um, Rhinebeck Historical Society and um, continued until his death in 1988. Okay, and is that typical of uh, most town historians? Was the position all, were they all created in 1919? Well, I know the state law was created. I don't know what the history is in the individual towns. Mm-hmm. Okay, all right. Okay, and then uh, there, there's the state law, and so there is a mandate for town historians, um, and we should note that New York ha- is, uh, has jurisdictions with towns, uh, so counties are divided into towns. Um, so let's look at the, the state mandate now uh, with Barbara. Um, what is the role of town historians according to the law? Who is eligible to serve? Okay, um, let me just add um, a little bit to Nancy's. Uh, We have had an appointed official town historian here in the town of Brookhaven since April of 1920 when the law went into effect. And we've had some terrific town historians, some of which I would like to, you know, meet there what they did for this town. Uh, I would tell you that probably 75% of the genealogical collection here was collected by the first two town historians. That's why we're lucky to have copies of family Bibles and this kind of information. So I would never, I would never um, underestimate what a town historian can accomplish. And then the <laughs> other question, I really, I, I really think, I really seriously here in the town of Brookhaven. I can't tell you the work that was done by some of the former town historians. Um, What was the second question had to do with, oh, the requirements. Um, They're not um, official, but it is a municipal position, and you do have an appointing authority. Uh, One of the things that the Association of Public Historians does is to try to have some guidelines for what historians should do. For example, um, a level of education in the field. Um, public programming is another one. Uh, writing, in other words, some people write for their local papers, some sort of a, a publishing or uh, public information is um, a real um, cornerstone of being the public historian. And one of the reasons that we have a conference every year is so that we can offer programs that help historians. We have a program that we have every year at our conference, which is a program for new historians. What's expected of you? Uh, What should you be doing? What are the minimum requirements that your municipality should provide for you? These kinds of things. And um, sometimes they're information as far as historical programs, and sometimes they are more um, training type of programs. We try to have a mix. Okay. So then according to the law, is a town historian required to collect documents? No. What? Go ahead. No, they are not required to collect documents. Um, As a matter of fact, let me tell you how I work it in the town of Brookhaven. You have to understand I have documents here that were 
collected by former historians, and they are now part of a town collection. In our town code, our town clerk is the last word on any town document. So those are two, two things to remember. I do not go out of my way looking for documents. However, if people come to me and say, you know, here's, here's this old uh, deeds or something that I have or papers from my family. I live in a very big town, large town geographically, large town uh, population-wise. There are repositories in this town, for example, the um, State University at Stony Brook has a wonderful special collection. Uh, some of our historical societies have wonderful repositories. Depending on what's offered to me, if there is a better uh, a qualified or, uh, repository in the town, I will suggest that it goes there. However, some areas don't have that, in which case I have to take it here in my office. I also have to take things that people want specifically to go to the town of Brookhaven. And I certainly won't want those items lost or thrown out. Those I will take. That's pretty much my policy here here in Brookhaven. Okay. All right. And then how is a town historian's salary determined? Is that by the state or by the town, Barbara? Uh, it's determined by the by the municipality. Okay. And then is there a requirement for how many hours per week a historian serves? There's no requirement as far as hours. Sometimes it's based on, I, I, you know what, that's, not a, that's a tough question because different municipalities follow different, um, you know, different procedures as far as that. It, if, they're, if they're getting paid on an hourly rate, they might set the hours. If they're getting paid on a salary rate, they might say it's a minimum of this many hours a week. I, you know what? That's that's all individual to the municipality. Okay. All right. And then, how about the location of the historian? Do all historians have an office somewhere in the town, or uh, you know, could they could their office be their homes? From what I understand, um, talking to historians all over the state. Some of them are not provided municipal space. But may I interject my personal opinion here? They should be given municipal space. It's not that you can't do Internet research at your house or something, but if you are taking care of valuable documents of any sort, they should be in municipal space where they are in the proper um, environment and the proper fire codes and the proper uh, most most town offices or state offices have security. So in that respect, um, there should be some space allotted by a municipality. Okay. All right. So then it sounds like the state's involvement basically was it, it created a law to say that each town should have a his, uh, historian. And then... From there, it's up to the individual towns to determine all of the the logistics and the details about the position in in terms of salary and how many hours they work, uh, if an office is provided or not. 
Um, and then is it, and then is this my uh, correct understanding? Then it's the individual town historian who determines what he or she would like to do with the role. They don't necessarily collect documents, um, although many do. They may be writing. They may be uh, doing presentations. So it, it, it varies. It, it sounds like it varies by town. Um, it varies, but if you read the state law, which is number 50, if one reads the state law, 57.07, it does establish um, that a historian, for example, shall promote the establishment and improvement of programs for the management and preservation of local government records with enduring value for historical and other research. Um, it does spell it out a little bit more, but I don't want to okay. reread the... <laughs> I'm not gonna reread. No, the no, no, that's okay. Show. That's okay. Yeah, yeah. And then, and then, just to to uh, uh, clarify, the town records are the responsibility of the town clerk, and it that may excuse me that might vary by municipality. I'm only speaking here for the town town of Brookhaven. It's very okay. clear in our setup. That may vary by municipality. I think it's okay. All right. This state. is good to know. So <laughs> this is good to know because I I'm getting clear also on on what uh, the role of a town historian is and what what uh, they are mandated to do and what you know is is open for them to interpret on their own. Um, so this is all good. So then, uh, Barbara, you you uh, we. And we're talking about some town records. So there, there are different town records. Uh, we have 1847 to 1849 vital records that town clerks were required to keep. Um, there might be uh, town meeting records that have survived from the very early years of the town. Um, in 1799, for the older towns, town clerks were required to uh, keep a register of slave birth for the town. So we'll we find those records with a town historian um slave births i have never seen those records here we have them and i think i did ask once at the town clerk's office and they don't have a record of that either you know our town is <laughs> 362 years old. I mean, I we have a lot of records, but I have never seen them here. Okay. All right. And, and then, so Nancy, for the town of Rhinebeck? Yeah. Um, well, I, as far as I've observed, uh, Rhinebeck is one of the towns in Dutchess County that has uh, a greater selection of early records than um, many of the others do. Uh, so we do have the slave records. And um, uh, so uh, I have a selection of early records that I have um, uh, charge of, uh, whereas um, the town clerk is, um, you know, caring for the uh, minutes of the town board and um, uh, other kinds of records that that, that they're um, keeping. Um, in in town repositories. Um, so what happened was that all of these early records were uh, given to the New York State Archives in Albany, 
around the time of the um, bicentennial. And um, then um, the New York State Archives decided that they didn't have room or it wasn't proper for them to be um, storing these records up there. And they asked me uh, as town historian to take charge of them as long as I had a place that was um, secure. And so I've worked with the Rhinebeck Historical Society and their archive room to have a space where I can store these records in their um, situation where it's uh, humidity and um, temperature controlled and uh, also it's a locked space. Okay. All right. All right. And I should add, too, the, the uh, records that were sent to the state archives were microfilmed, and the state archives does have a copy of the microfilm. Yes, that's what they said. They, they have the microfilm. <laughs> and, uh, yes. Yes. Uh-huh. Okay. Um, All right. So that's another, another place to find the town records. Yes. And, of course, uh, I think you can uh, uh, get a copy of the microfilm by interlibrary loan. Okay. All right. All right. So on, on this note, we are going to take a break. This is the Forget-Me-Not Hour. Your ancestors want their stories to be told, and we'll be right back. Welcome back. This is the Forget-Me-Not Hour. Your ancestors want their stories to be told. Uh, when you are uh, listening on Blog Talk Radio, uh, you are going to see on your screen, on your computer, some buttons. Uh, you're going to see a button that uh, will share the Forget-Me-Not Hour with your friends on social media. Uh, please share the Forget-Me-Not Hour by uh, pressing that button. 
you're also going to see a follow button. If you press that button, you'll receive an email letting you know that the show is going on the air, who the guest is, and what the topic is. You'll also find on the blog talk page the Forget-Me-Not Hour archives. Please take advantage of that. From the beginning of uh, the Forget-Me-Not Hour, there are many wonderful shows that are timeless and have wonderful information. You can also get the Forget-Me-Not Hour on iTunes under Jane E. Wilcox, uh, so you can take the Forget-Me-Not Hour on the go with you. Um, Today we are talking about New York town historians, and my guests are Nancy Kelly and Barbara Russell, uh, from the towns of Rhinebeck and Brookhaven, uh, respectively. Um, so, Nancy, uh, talking about uh, town records, uh, what types of records were generated by the individual towns? I, I mentioned a few of them. Are, are okay. there others? That, well, there were quite that, a lot of uh, assessment roles. Um, we have um, stray animal and dog uh, owner records, um, polis, justice of uh, justice court records, uh, tavern applications, um, military roles, um, especially 1855 to 1862. The overseers of the poor is an interesting set of records. Um, there are some school records that the town had uh, gotten charge of, and um, we mentioned the children born of slaves and the, those uh, um people who were set free, and then 1847 to 1849, um, the state had uh, mandated that town clerks would collect vital records, so we have those records, but of course then um, that lapsed, and um, we didn't have any official collection of vital records until 1880. Okay. All right. And have the... Uh, any of these records been published for the town of Rhinebeck? Uh, well, they, uh, as we said, they've been microfilmed, and um, selective records have been published in the Duchess, which um, my husband was the editor, um, and it has a quarterly publication. Um, it's for the Duchess County Genealogical Society. So, for instance, the... Um, Overseers of the Poor, I believe, were published, and also the uh, the slave records. Okay, all right. And then, Barbara, for the town of Brookhaven, uh, mm-hmm. do you have these records as well? As I, I know Nancy said that the Rhinebeck in particular has a, a really rich history of saving these types of records. How about Brookhaven? Mm-hmm. Um, many of the ones she mentioned we have, Overseers of the Poor, tax assessments. I do have one book from 1847 when the state initiated this record keeping. I have one book, and it's only for that year, I believe. Um, I do have manumission records. The only trouble is they were incorporated into the town board records. So you have to really go through them if you're looking for a particular name. We also reprinted our town board minutes up to about 19, uh, early 20th century. They might go to about 1909 or something like that. So we have published books of those records. Um, I don't normally have to get out the original um, pieces of paper 
because um, sometimes I have somebody who wants to actually see their ancestor's signature or something, but they're all reprinted in published books. Um, And are those available online? Um, They are, I believe, through a website. It's not through our website. Okay. I could refer somebody there, too. I believe they can get them, but whether they're done completely, I don't know. I'm not sure. Okay. All right. Mm-hmm. So so we may find these town records with the town historian. Some town clerks may still have them. I, that's my experience of, of mm-hmm. uh, going to individual towns. Might there be some other place that has town records? Uh, Nancy. Uh, well, I don't, I don't know, um, because the the archives had returned them to us. But um, there may be other cases where records were uh, deposited in some repository uh, convenient to the town. Really, don't know. Okay. Okay. And, and Barbara, do you are you aware of any? Um, the only other the only other thing I could suggest is many of our local Suffolk County libraries have uh, copies of the t- the printed town board minutes. They're usually pretty much available in any of the local libraries. Okay, all right. And and on this uh, particular topic, I do want to point out uh, that I know of a town record in an unusual place. Uh, there are uh, records for the uh, town of Coxsackie in Greene County, and I may not print be pronouncing that the way the locals do, um, but the, the slave birth, uh, the register for the slave birth, are actually at the uh, Franklin D. Roosevelt Presidential Library um, because Roosevelt was a historian and he was collecting records. So, so I do know of one instance where the, the town records are in an unusual place. Um, so ex- expanding our field to, to look for these records. Yes. Mm-hmm. So, so, uh, so uh, Barbara, for the town of Brookhaven, what what in addition to what you just uh mentioned of the town records what else do you have i know one of the early town historians that you mentioned uh at the beginning collecting genealogy material was osborne shaw you know, mm-hmm. what types of what types of records did he and other historians uh collect for well he the did a pretty exhaustive yeah he did a a very large uh survey of our cemeteries and um, I, I do have his actual work where he he wrote it in a, a longhand in a book. There's a book by cemetery number and there's a book alphabetically by name. And But it stops at about 1881 because his philosophy was after that there was another way to get the information. So what he did is he surveyed any stones that were visible in the 1930s and wrote that down. But in addition to that, he went around to families and um, got information from their Bibles and, and, you know, whatever other records they had. So that's pretty much a great source here for um, genealogists to use. And then I have a, um, a biographical file, which he started, I believe, and um, anything he collected, he put by last name. So if you're looking for um, Wilcox, I can go and see if I have a Wilcox file. It might contain letter, uh, 
letters with information from people. It might contain uh, where he actually went to the home of somebody who had a family Bible and copied down the information at that time and always mentions who owned it at that time. So I have a lot of things like that in my office. Okay. You also have a, a collection, if I'm remembering cor- uh, correctly, that he collected from people? Well, yes, that's in the that's in the biographical file. Okay. All right, all right. And so where is the historian's office located for Brookhaven? It's right in Town Hall, which is one Independence Hill, Farmingville, New York. Okay, and do we need to make an appointment uh to It's to the need? best it's the best way then you will know I am in the office. Um, if okay. it's hit or miss and you stop by my office, I may or may not be available to help you. It's best to call or email me ahead of time. Okay. And are you there generally on particular days of the week? I'm generally here Monday, Wednesday, and Thursday. Okay. All right. And then do you have certain hours uh, during those days? Well, I'm generally here between 9 and 4, but a historian's work is always not always right in the office. So I may be working outside the office, which is why I always say it's best to call or email me ahead of time. Okay. All right. And then, as you mentioned, Brookhaven is a particularly large town. Uh, it has mm-hmm. a number of hamlets in it, uh, and it, it it was in the 1700s, 1800s. It was fairly rural. And as I said, I have ancestors mm-hmm. there on, uh, in Central Mauritius and elsewhere in, in the town. Is there's something about a larger town and and the the records or the the types of records that a historian collects that may be different or unique compared to a smaller town in the state of New York. Um, I wish I could compare it by saying I was a historian in a smaller town <laughs> as opposed to <laughs> yeah, a larger a town, question. and I I really can't. You know, I can't do that. Um, I I honestly don't know the answer to your question other than we probably have a much larger volume of material than maybe a small, a very small town might have. Okay. And certainly we're an old town. Sure, sure. Is there anything else you'd like to add about the town of Brookhaven and Um, and the records of the town historian? Well, I can tell you that I feel that what's in my office, its we call it the historian's collection, but it certainly, certainly is not my personal collection. It belongs to the residents of the town of Brookhaven. So I really make every effort to make my the collection here available to people for research. Okay. All right. And, and then let's uh, talk about the town of Rhinebeck now, Nancy. Um, what is in the town historian's collection in addition to the town records that you mentioned earlier? Well, uh, we have a website for our consortium of Rhinebeck history, and it lists the Rhinebeck town records as organization RTR. And so all of those records are listed as town records. And then we have a listing for Rhinebeck Historian uh, of um, RHR, which um, 
includes a lot of ledgers, scrapbooks, indentures and leases, and even um, the minutes from the GAR organization, the veterans of the Civil War, um, which um, were collected mainly by uh, DeWitt Grinnell. And um, so I've kept them as a town historian's collection, whereas more recent items um, are usually uh, forwarded to either the Rhinebeck Historical Society or the Museum of Rhinebeck History for um, listing and, and uh, preservation. Okay. And and as I mentioned, you and Art, uh, your husband, were on the show previously talking about uh, Rhinebeck. You, you have Kinship, which... Uh, has many books of transcriptions of records throughout the Hudson Valley and and Mohawk Valley. Have have you added to the town historian's collection in in your roles? Well, let me explain that um, the town historian uh, has not been having a uh, office space at the town hall uh, since the um, early records are being stored at the Star Library with the um, in the archive room for the Historical Society, uh, we were using the local um, history room at the Star Library uh, for office hours at the uh, for the town historian, and so therefore um, Arthur and I have donated um, vertical files for similar, perhaps to what Barbara has. Um, they're uh, organized by surname and uh, they include um, research that Arthur has done um, for individuals and um, also letters uh, giving um, information about the particular family. So lots of times uh, when Arthur has uh, research to do, he will do a more extensive um, family research than what is really um, required to be sent to the individual as an answer for their question, but all of the background information that was collected is kept in these files. So that okay. is one uh, thing that was added. We had also collected a, a um, file cabinet full of information about historic sites in Rhinebeck, and we're constantly adding to that. Um, and then the other... Um, aspect of it is that Arthur has published over 400 books and so a large collection of um, the kinship um, books are at the Star Library as well. Okay. And, and then I also want to add, you have done a book on historic architecture for the town of Rhinebeck. I did two books for uh, Rhinebeck. One is called Brief History of Rhinebeck and the other is about historic architecture, right? Okay, all right. And so uh, to meet you at the Star Library, and actually I, should, I want to back up and say that uh, Rhinebeck has a unique situation in which the historian, the Rhinebeck Historical Society, and then the local history room at the Star Library are, are all together. Um, I, haven't, I haven't seen that in any other town in the state of New York yet. Um, there may be some others out there. So do we need to make an appointment uh, to meet with you? Well, the, the Star Library is located at 68 West Market Street. Um, I am there on Tuesdays from 10 to 3, 
um, and um, the Historical Society is there on Thursdays from 10 to 3. Um, so those are the hours when we're readily available. Um, occasionally we can accommodate someone who needs to make an appointment on a weekend or something like that, but it depends on uh, people's availability. Okay. Mind. All right. And then I'll ask a, a question similar to what I asked Barbara in terms of Rhinebeck being a smaller town. Uh, do you, are you aware of an advantage or a unique uh, collection or situation that a smaller town might have uh, that a larger town may not have? Well, I'm aware of a unique a, a unique situation, but uh, I don't think it particularly relates to it being a smaller town. Uh, Rhinebeck has the situation where um, the patentee uh, for a majority of the land in Rhinebeck um, kept the uh, land in a leasehold system rather than uh, writing deeds to people and having them recorded in the uh, county clerk. Um, So that um, for many generations, this land was not um, recorded, and um, the idea of trying to follow, um, even if someone knows that their ancestors lived on a property for three or more generations, um, you can't do it through uh, public records. So I've been um, busily trying to identify where these uh, private records are stored and um, and as much as possible get microfilm of them to have um, for us to use for research. So a large collection is down at Princeton University in the Firestone Library. Um, And then we have also found quite a bit of information uh, at the New York Historical Society, at the New York Public Library, and at Albany in the archives and in Albany State Manuscript Collection. All right. Okay. And then do you have anything else to add about uh, Rhinebeck? Well, um, I guess um, that we have done as much as we can about uh, trying to do um, exhibits and programs to uh, highlight our history. And um, uh, Rhinebeck uh, has been very um, sympathetic to local history and um, very interested in historic preservation so that a lot of our activities involve um, uh, historic preservation. Okay. All right. So and this, this next question is addressed uh, to both of you. Um, in talking with other town historians throughout the state, can, do you have any idea how many town historians have additional genealogical material, uh, you know, like, like the vertical files? And, and other things like that. Any idea, uh, Barbara? To be honest with you, it's not a subject that I really um, asked as a general question to other historians. Um, I've directed people 
doing genealogy up to a particular historian if they have, you know, ancestors in that area. But it's 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 not a question I've really directed to any particular uh, historian. Okay, and Nancy, I have very limited experience with uh, whether they have any genealogical information, as far as I can um, recall in the areas adjoining Rhinebeck, I haven't uh, uh, any information about genealogical information that they have. Okay. All right. So we are going to take a break. Uh, when we come back, we're going to talk about what we can expect uh, when we contact a town historian. Uh, this is the Forget-Me-Not Hour. Your ancestors want their stories to be told, and we'll be right back. Welcome back. This is the Forget-Me-Not Hour. Your ancestors want their stories to be told. We will be back on the third Wednesday of the month. That's uh, December 21st at 10 o'clock in the morning. Uh, we're going to be uh, talking with Beth Hessel, who is the Executive Director of the Presbyterian Historical Society in Philadelphia. Um, so we'll be uh, talking about the history of the Presbyterian Church uh, starting in Europe and then coming over here uh, to North America and we'll be talking about the Presbyterian Historical Society's collections. Uh, so that, again, is on December 21st at 10 o'clock in the morning. And then to start out the new year, on uh, 
January 4th, that's the first Wednesday of the month, we're going to be talking about the Iroquois Confederacy. Um, my guest will be Professor Lawrence Hauptman. He is a professor emeritus at SUNY New Pulse, and his specialty is the Iroquois Confederacy. Um, so we'll be, we will be talking about the history of the Confederacy. Uh, Larry has a new book out uh, that we'll be talking about, and then he will be uh, giving us information about some records uh, that we can use for researching uh, our ancestors and others uh, who are in the Iroquois Confeder Confederacy. Um, so that will also be at 10 o'clock in the morning. Again, that's uh, January 4th. And if you have any questions for upcoming guests, uh, if you have ideas for shows, uh, please contact me at janeewilcox.com and uh, send me a note. I would appreciate hearing from you. Um, so today we're continu continuing our talk about uh, town historians. So when we contact a town historian, it may be by email, it may be by phone, um, what can we expect uh, when we contact a town historian and then what type of information would you want to receive from a person who's contacting you. So let's start with Nancy. Okay, well, um, first of all, when someone contacts me, uh, it's very helpful if they give me as much information as possible about their research uh, request. Um, I often get people saying, my great-grandfather so-and-so, but it won't give me any dates, and it's very hard to... Uh, uh, to relate to what the question is. Um, also, um, uh, sometimes I've had people who are planning to write a book and really seem to think that I'm going to do all the research for them for their book. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, other times people that are writing a book will have specific questions that you can help them with, but um, I'm not going to do all the research necessary to produce the book. <laughs> okay. All right. And what would you say is the balance between genealogy requests and uh, history uh, or architecture requests? Um, I think a large percentage of what I've received lately have been genealogical requests. Mm -hmm. Okay. All right. And then, Barbara, how about for you? Um, I pretty much would have the same answers as Nancy. Um my usual thing to say to people is, tell me everything you know, and then tell me specifically what you are looking for. Because this way, you're not doing, you're not looking up what they've already found, you know. Sometimes what they're actually looking for is not what they ask you for in the beginning, <laughs> But uh, I pretty much would have the same answer as Nancy. Um, and I agree with you. I, I have a, a policy in the office when people come in, they, they can see the written policy or they can ask for it on the Internet. There's a limited amount of pages of things that I'm going to copy for people. I don't care if they bring in a digital camera. Uh, they pay for their copies, and that is the standard rule. Um, if they live close enough, I ask them to please come into the office, and then they can go through the material themselves. And uh, if they live halfway across the country, I try to accommodate them a little bit more. But, um, you know, it's not our job to be the researcher. It's our job to provide the information to the researcher. 
So I think that's kind of the way you have to think about it. Okay. All right. And then, Nancy, how about you? Will you also do some research for long-distance people? Uh, well, I'll, I'll do some. Um, if it's uh, something extensive, why then I'm going to uh, refer them to a, a, um, a professional researcher. Um, I'm going to tell them where the information is available and um, suggest uh, ways of, of um, going about the research. It depends on the individual question. Mm-hmm. Okay, all right. And then will you provide photocopies as well, allow people to bring cameras in? Yes, um, we charge 25 cents a page for photocopying. Okay, all right. So I, I know there are some historians in, in New York, public historians, who are not necessarily genealogy friendly. and they, they do not consider that to be part of their role. And they may have some records that I'm interested in because I, I use all types of records in my research. Um, and, and so what's the best way from your experience of approaching a historian who, who may not be so genealogy friendly? Uh, let's start with Barbara. Um, you know, I do hear historians who say, oh, no, we're not supposed to do that work. Well, you don't have to do the work for somebody, but you should know the resources in your municipality. And I think Nancy just mentioned this. Um, nobody says you have to be a genealogical research researcher or even know a lot about it, but you have to be amenable to directing people to the to the right sources of, of the places or people who can help them. And that's what I think is the most important thing. For me, and I'm sure for Nancy, this is not a difficult thing because we do genealogy. We're familiar with it. We know what's in the area. We know the terms they're asking about. But um, as I said, we're not private researchers. And you don't have to be as a historian, but you need to know what's in your area and where to refer people. Okay. And, Nancy, do you have anything to add? Well, I just think that if someone is uh, encountering a historian that doesn't seem to be genealogically friendly, um, if they can ask specific questions or see a list of uh, records that the historian has, um, they would be able to um, determine... Uh, how how much help they could get if there's Bible records available, voter records, um, town officers, all that kind of thing would be helpful to someone who's searching their genealogy. Okay, all right. So I want to point out there are 932 towns in the state of New York, 555 villages, 62 cities, all in New York, and then we have 62 counties. And we have, we've been talking about town historians this morning. We have city historians. We have village historians. We also have county historians. Is there a difference in, in those uh, roles as city, village, town, or county historian, Barbara? Um, well, they're all considered municipal historians. It's just the regional... Uh, area that you cover. I mean, a county historian is 
going to know who all the who all the historians are in the various towns and villages or should know who they are. Um, but as far as are they all mandated by the state? Yes, it's very clear on on municipalities. Um, but the details of I, I know you have a question about how many are filled and unfilled. That is a question that you might want to have Devin Lander, the New York State historian, come on your show because this is something that he is addressing as the new state historian. He is contacting these municipalities and asking, do you have a municipal historian? And if not, why not? You know, these kinds of questions. So, um, But it's a different type of municipality. In the city, in, in New York City, it's spelled out in the town code of how that works by the different um, boroughs and that kind of thing. It's a little bit more confusing than just a simple town or, or village. Okay. All right. And so, Nancy, uh, yeah. let's talk about the Association of Public Historians in New York State. Uh, and before you get into that, I do want something. Oh, sure. About about uh, your previous question, um, I believe that Buffalo and New York City keep their own um, um, vital records, so that uh, the uh, index for New York State. Um, doesn't include those records. You have to go to the individual cities. Um, the um, counties have different records from what the count, town does because the, the uh, deeds are kept at a county level in New York State. And um, so uh, in Dutchess County, we also have a really uh, interesting series of records called Ancient Documents. And so our county historian has been very instrumental in um, getting um, that information online and um, making uh, us being able to make more use of it. So then uh, okay. your next question was about... Uh, the, the Association of Public Historians. Association. In, uh-huh. Yes. Yes. Uh, so um, this, this is a, an association which I guess Barbara knows more about than I do, but um, is very helpful in um, giving um, training sessions and uh, the conferences include a lot of programs that are very educational. And um, then you can uh, call them for information and and um, so it's it's a uh, very good resource. Okay. And then as a town historian, are you required to be a member of the association? I pay dues every year. I'm not sure if you're required. I don't think okay. <laughs> they have any way of requiring the town to pay, pay the dues. Okay. All right. And then I would like to add that I have included a link on the blog talk page uh, for it's a list of all of the public historians in the state of New York, and so that would be town, village, city, and county, okay. and uh, they are listed by municipality. Uh, so if anybody is interested in contacting a historian, a public historian in New York State, that is the place to go. Um, and, and you will see some towns may have vacancies, as uh, Barbara mentioned, 
Um, but uh, and, and there's a on the historians uh, public historians website there are uh, a couple of ways that they have presented the list of historians. I've put just the list that is by municipality. Barbara, is there anything else you would like to add about the Association of Public Historians? Um, I would just say that uh, it's not required to belong, but um, as I tell people, your clerk belongs to the Association of Clerks. Your highway superintendent belongs to the Association of Highway Superintendents, and I'm sure I can go on and on. So your historian should really belong to the statewide organization. Um, you know, it's well worth it to belong. It's well worth it to take the time and attend a conference. They're very, very good. Absolutely. And I appreciated uh, the uh, New York Family History uh, Conference, Family History Conference in Syracuse, having their conference in conjunction with the Association of Public Historians this past September. I thought it was a great networking opportunity uh, for uh, genealogists and historians. Um, so we are at the end of our hour, and uh, before we talk about your own ancestry, each of you, is there anything you would like to add in conclusion about uh, town historians? Uh, Nancy, anything else? Uh, well, um, I guess I wanted to mention that the uh, next um, conference would be October 31st to November 2nd, uh, 2017, in Poughkeepsie. And so that will be very convenient for me. <laughs> and I hope that many people can come to that. Mm -hmm. Okay. And is the public invited to uh, attend these conferences, or is it just for historians? Um, perhaps Barbara can answer. I think you, you can pay uh, um, the fee and and attend. Yes, um, you can attend. You can um, you come come as a guest. You pay a registration fee, and that entitles you to um, attend any of the sessions. That's usually the way it works. Okay. All right. And then Barbara, is there anything you would like to add as we close about town historians? I would just say to any of your listeners, if they live in a town or a village or a county that has an opening for a historian, they should uh, contact their authority, whether it's a mayor or a town supervisor or a county executive, and um, get someone appointed. Your, your local history is of utmost importance. I would agree with that, <laughs> absolutely. Okay, so as as we uh, end our show, um, uh, tell us about your own ancestry. Barbara, let's start with you. Um, my ancestry is um, pretty much German, Dutch, Irish, okay. and you had a yeah. And I'll, I'll um, that's about that's about it. <laughs> All right. And when when did they come to the U.S. Uh, one side of my family came in the 17th century. That's the Dutch-German side. That's actually the Dutch side. They came to, um, you know, the Hudson Valley there. And uh, my later ancestors came. Actually, I have a grandfather that came in 1905 from Ireland. So um, you, you had a question about which one calls out to you the most. The one that I don't know enough about. <laughs> <laughs> it's the one that calls out to me. And um, 
the family lore is that he was a young, healthy man in, in the 1860s, and he actually went to North Carolina where he met his wife and lived there for a while. And the family history is that he went there to build caskets for the Union soldiers. And I'm going on the hunch that uh, he may have been a civilian employee of the Union Army. And those are the records I have to get to next when I have the time. Okay. All right. And I do want to point out, uh, in New York City at the New York Public Library, there is the Sanitation Commission record, um, which I'll, I'll tell you more about. But I, I want to point those records out as well. Um, so, okay. Nancy, uh, what is your own ancestry? Well, um, I guess very similar to Barbara. I have a grandmother that immigrate, immigrated in 1905. I have Dutch ancestors that uh, came before 1662. Um, Cornelius Van Tassel came to Long Island. <laughs> um, and uh, then um, what happened is that uh, a lot of my ancestors are um, Palatine uh, settlers who came uh, from Germany in, in 1710 and ended up here in uh, northern Dutchess County and southern Columbia County, so that um, I've been particularly interested in the Palatines. And when we first started our book publishing, we called it Palatine Transcripts. But um, then after a while, we realized that it was getting confused with Palestine, and, and so we ended up changing the name to kinship. Huh? Okay. And and is there an ancestor who called out to, has called out to you? Well, uh, it's the Palatine families in general that uh, I've been particularly interested in. Yes. Okay. All right. And I do want to add that I also have Dutch ancestry. <laughs> so it's unusual that all three of us uh, have huh. some uh, colonial Dutch ancestry. Uh, Thank you so much for joining me on the show. It's uh, been wonderful information. I learned uh, a, a lot about town historians, that, uh, you know, information that I didn't know. And uh, so I appreciate you uh, both joining me this morning. Oh, it's been fun. Thank you for inviting us. Yes, I really appreciate it. It was a very interesting uh, radio show. All right. Thank you. Um, Thank you. The forget me uh, this is the Forget-Me-Not Hour. Your ancestors want their stories to be told. Have a good day. One more